So there I was, I was listening to the last word, as I usually do between 4.30 and 7 on Today FM a couple of weeks ago, and Matt, Matt Cooper, our own Matt, revealed on air that he'd been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, which came to be honest, as a huge surprise to me just listening at home. Because for anyone that knows Matt, they would know he has always seemed to come across as a fairly healthy liver and at least as a person who lives life in moderation, extremely busy, etc. And I really wanted to talk to him about that, the whole thing. And he joins me live on the line. Hi, Matt. Hello, Mario. Good morning to you. Good. I won't keep you long because I know you're heading out to play tennis, uh, golf, soccer, rugby for the rest of the day (laughs) and do an exhausting amount of sports. But first of all... um, why did you... I was listening live on the radio when you said it. Why did you decide to talk publicly about it? And was that something you had weighed up in your head? Will I talk about it? Will I not? Because you know it's a personal thing, etc. Yeah, I, I think that was very much I had thought, you know, you know, these sort of things you keep private. But, you know, we do every week on The Last Word, we do a health spot and we talk about the various illnesses and conditions that people have to live with. And I did think that it would be a little bit perhaps dishonest not to discuss type 2 diabetes without actually saying, well, look, actually, as it happens, I have the condition and this is my experience with it. Um, And maybe might be of use to people listening who would have gone through some of the symptoms uh, that I had gone through before I got the diagnosis and started the treatment. And also because it is actually quite a serious condition and... Sometimes I maybe I might be guilty as well of underplaying things, typical male thing that, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine, it'll be all right. But type 2 diabetes does lead to a dramatically increased risk of things like heart attack or stroke. And I would be concerned certainly about stroke, having seen the effect that a series of strokes had on my late mother. Um, and then even as I've become more aware of it, I mean, th- links to things like dementia, uh, because for whatever reason, but there's been new scientific research linking type 2 diabetes to dementia, which has now been called in some circles type 3 diabetes. Oh. Also, it things that it impacts on eyesight and you have to have regular eyesight checks and there are people who have lost their li- eyesight because they haven't been treated properly or haven't changed their lifestyle. And uh, also you have to be very, very careful with your feet that um, yeah. if you don't protect your feet properly, there is the potential for problems which have led to people having their feet and legs amputated. So it's a serious condition. And I just thought that if we were discussing it sort of to emphasize the seriousness of it, yeah. then maybe I should maybe just talk a little bit about my own experiences with it. Very good, because you also mentioned during the uh, piece that some people don't take it as seriously or there's a perception out there that some people don't take it as seriously as uh, maybe it should be. So when did, let's go back to the beginning. When did you first suspect, for, for example, there's something wrong with me, I don't know what it is? It was nearly two years ago. We had been on a family holiday to the United States in August 2018, which is absolutely terrific holiday. And when we came back and I was sort of fired up to go, new season of the television show on top of the radio, um, really looking forward to a new book coming out at that time, was really looking forward to everything. And I suddenly found myself started getting drained of energy and made worse by the fact that I was suddenly needing to go to the toilet an enormous amount, uh, needing to urinate, Um, so much so that I might be getting up four or five times during the night. Mm. Uh, this was around September, October 2018. 
And that, of course, as well as having to get up, was destroying my sleep. And then during the day, I would also find that I was needing to go to the toilet an awful lot more. Even in between items on the last word, I would be, during the ad break, running out to the toilet, also very thirsty. And quite quickly, I realised this is not right, that there's something seriously wrong here. Yeah. I was finding it harder. I would always go to have two heavy weight sessions with personal trainer Paul Byrne twice yeah. a week was finding it much harder to get the energy levels up for that mm. and then even in the last hour of the program on, on the last word I would be really struggling I would really be finding it very very hard uh, to keep my concentration to even keep awake to be honest yeah, you said I knew you nearly, there was a problem you said you nearly fell asleep at one point uh, in the last hour yeah, and that, that's no reflection on the item we were doing wasn't at the Charlie, guests. It wasn't Charlie we Weston, was it? <laughs> it was actually the movies. And Brian Lloyd said it to me recently, because he actually was out of wonder at the times he could see that I was struggling. Yeah. And, uh, and and because he was asking me after I'd said it on the on the last word a couple of weeks ago about what the situation was. Yeah. So, look, I, I wasn't... F- and also, there was only a small thing, and this is relevant to what I said about yeah. eyesight. I suddenly was finding it hard to read things. I've never used glasses. And it's always been a sort of a source of pride that my eyesight is great, no matter the fact that I read so much and that I must screen so much. But suddenly I was struggling. Now, I, I put that down to a factor of age as well. Look, I'm into my early 50s these things happen but at the same time that was something else that I was uh, concerned about so I went to my GP and my GP immediately said one of two things Uh, diabetes is a possibility as I thought the other thing is prostate and that's something that you have to be so careful of obviously when you're a man in your 50s so the very first thing that the doctor did was a prostate examination which again very important for men over the age of 50 to do Uh, that was all absolutely fine not a problem Uh, did sort of an intermediate bloods test and immediately said oh look this looks like diabetes we're going to have to get the full uh, array of blood tests done they were all done they came back yeah that's what it looks like so I was then referred on to a diabetes specialist so I went to the diabetes specialist who had all the bloods ready Uh, they'd been sent on to him and all the assessments had been done and uh, the first thing he asked me to do was outline um, my lifestyle so I outline my lifestyle about how the amount of exercise that I take, the hours that I work, the sort of diet that I ate, uh, the consumption of alcohol, which would be quite limited or would have been quite limited because when I was about 40, I just sort of gave up on alcohol and then I sort of would go through long periods where maybe six months where I wouldn't have a single drink. That's right. Then I might have a few weeks where I'd go out a bit and have a few pints or a few glasses of wine and stuff and then I'd sort of quit it again. So I was, whereas I would have to admit that when I was younger, yeah, I had a real fondness for my pints in particular, uh, but I sort of gave that up back was it nearly 14 years ago now at this stage hmm. so I described my lifestyle to him and he said okay we've got a real problem here and I looked hmm. and I said what do you mean and he says well you've just described the lifestyle that I was going to tell you to take up <laughs> oh my god right yeah. I get it yeah because you were living a very moderate lifestyle yeah I mean, I was living, I was, you know, I was, I was being reasonably careful. Mm. I mean, you could say things that maybe I overwork, mm. um, that I, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't, I mean, and maybe I did eat a little bit too much and maybe I did eat a few many, too many sweet things. Although I was reasonably careful in what I was eating, I thought, 
But the other telltale signs were that, you know, I, I do, I did, when I say do, I did carry too much weight around the waist, mm. that all of the weight seemed to actually sort of sit around my stomach. But not that much, Matt. I mean, listen, relatively speaking. Um, you'd be surprised, yeah. Mario, you'd be surprised. I mean, at one stage, and when I took up the personal training, which would be 10 years ago now at this stage, mm. when I first went into Paul Byrne, I mean, like, I was touching 17 stone in weight, Okay. Well, you're tall, though. You're six foot anyway. eh? I'm just over six foot, but that's still too heavy. And I was carrying it. And then I dropped down and I dropped weight down to probably about 15 and a half stone, which is still probably that little bit too heavy. But I was struggling. I was at last year... uh, this time last year, I would have been at around 99 kilos, right? Yeah. And that was even after moving on to the medications. So I may be jumping a little bit ahead of myself here, but basically towards the end of 2018, I was put on various medications. And even that took a little while to get the balance right on the medication that I was on for um, getting the dosage right because I could end up in getting extreme slumps or having sugar highs. You get used to doing things yeah. like doing the prick test on your finger and measuring your bloods. Mm. And if your blood has fallen too low because of the impact of the medication, that had happened to me a number of occasions. It could go hypoglycemic, so you end up having to take sugar to boost it up. If you are too high, you're making sure you're trying to get more exercise in, taking more water to try and get the sugars down. So it was getting used to all of that. And also getting used to, and I suppose this is the, comes back to the point of the question you asked, me at the start about saying anything publicly. At first, I was, in retrospect, I probably was very, very taken aback, a bit shocked to discover that there was something wrong with me, that it was a real sort of sign of, okay, I've been very lucky and very fortunate in my life to date that I have not suffered any serious ill health. I know lots of people who have, and I've always felt fortunate that I haven't. But there was this sense of, oh, suddenly I'm vulnerable. This is the type of thing that could lead to yeah. very, very serious illness. This is the type of thing that could kill me. This is the type of thing that, if it doesn't do that, could slow me down dramatically. Yes, it, the loss of the, the feeling of of invulnerability yeah. was actually a really serious one. And then it becomes down to things like even things like, do you want employers to actually know that you have this vulnerability or I whatever? Know. Particularly when you're like me, when you work on short term contracts mm. and whatever and stuff. So there there was that certain thing and then getting used to it and getting adjusting to it. So the first while was actually a little bit, you know, keep this private, don't say anything. And That's then right. over time, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this. Yeah, I find that interesting, Matt, because you are in a sense revealing a weakness. Now it's just a physical, structural weakness, but uh, I yeah. can see what you mean. But uh, did you feel almost a sense of personal affront at being told, I have diabetes? As we know, like, when our, our perception of diabetes is, it's for fat people in our, it, it, the, the, the cliche, the tabloid view of it. It's for people who drink 10 cans of Coke every day and eat these really sugary cereals and just binge on Mars bars and all that stuff. That's a kind of a cliche about diabetes. And did you feel, why me? Jeepers. That's a shock to me. On me, diabetes? No, that's for other people. Well, that's actually a very good point, but there also can be a genetic component. Yes. And that was something that... You had. ...the doctor wanted to examine. Now, we were left in a situation where, you know, so many of my... My father, who is dead now at this stage, uh, 21 years, was the youngest of a family of 11, so all of his brothers and sisters were long dead, whatever, and stuff. So... 
Uh, there was there wasn't really anyone that I could check with was there a history of diabetes mm. on his side or my mother's family as well are all passed unfortunately so I didn't really have that to actually sort of to check out but in some respects it didn't really matter the main thing was actually dealing with it and dealing with it, as I said it was trying to get the medication right but then the the doctor came up with a really interesting suggestion to me about a new medication that I would inject once a week in addition to the metformin that I take twice a day with meals. And uh, he said, there's this new medication. It, the results have been really, really good with it in trials. It's becoming popular. Uh, so we will start you on that. But they had to do a whole series of scans and examinations and all the rest of it. And he discovered as well, this is part of the diabetes thing, that I had a lot of gallstones mm. and that it, the gallbladder would not be able to process this particular new uh, medication. So about July last year, I had my gallbladder taken out to allow me to oh. be able to use this new medication. And that was when I did something really stupid. A uh, gallbladder is taken out under full anaesthetic. Yeah. It uh, got organised that it would be taken out on a Thursday evening. So that would mean taking the radio off the Thursday and Friday and the television off the Thursday night and also for insurance the Monday as well and back on radio and television the following Tuesday. One of the biggest mistakes because I was still wrecked. I, mean, I asked how long will I need to take off and he said, look, there have been patients who've been out on the golf course a few days later, that's fine, but they're very rare. Um, what did you people, do, Matt? Most people stay in bed for two weeks afterwards and then think, I was back on air four days later. And it wasn't actually the physical effects of the cold bladder come out. It was the actual general anaesthetic. And uh, I was sort of went through those programs in a fog. Slurring. And, and on the third, no, I wasn't. Mm. But I was sort of like, you know, there was like Haze. a real sort of feeling like a w heavy weight pressed down the top of my head yeah. and on my shoulders. Yeah. And getting through it and going, oh my God. On the Thursday night, I was outside doing the TV show and I was going, this is the most stupid thing I've done. And on the Friday morning, I woke up. It was like the fog had lifted. It was like the anaesthetic effects had finally gone I was going oh my god what did I do over the last three years what did I say what questions did I ask yeah so I would never make a mistake like that again the sort of the, the typical self-employed freelancer mistake of you must go to work or else you don't get paid yeah uh, so anyway the, okay. the operation was done and then we waited a little while because he said you might get a reaction in your body to changing the medication wait until closer to Christmas I started the medication the week before Christmas and one of the benefits of it was that it would help in dealing with food, suppressing appetite and uh, since Christmas I have dropped just under 12 kilos in weight. That's two stone. Near enough to two stone, yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I last week, um, because I'm back on the television, uh, this coming week, uh, all my suits are now too big. So you're I'm going to be looking gorgeous, Matt. <laughs> into Paddy Sheary, who's around the corner, sm small, uh, men's suits outfitter just around the corner from us on at the at Marconi House in yeah. FM, went in bought a couple of suits from him that fit properly. Um, but I feel so much better since losing the weight. Okay. Um, and I just now feel that I'm sort of like on top of dealing with the things that I need to do. But it means an awful lot of exercise as well and maintain, maintenance of diet. But Great. I feel well, the I want to talk to you about your. I want to talk to you about your new regime. Stay with me. Uh, after the break, I'm here with Matt Cooper. 
Mario Sunday Roast and I'm still here with Matt Cooper and uh, Matt there's a great little reaction to you online lots of people wishing you well um, but lots of people get questions as well now I know you're not a doctor but let's do the best you can with this one um, just somebody inquiring about as far as you know what was the difference between let's say type 1 and type 2 diabetes oh, there is a, a ty- I'm, I'm talking specifically about type 2 diabetes because type 1 is a much more serious condition and requires uh, an awful lot more medical intervention because to the best of my knowledge and you're right we are neither of us doctors but in type 1 diabetes which they're not quite sure why it happens with people it may be as a result of an infection it tends to happen with younger people children teenagers young adults although again it can happen at a later date the pancreas stops producing insulin and that means that people before every meal have to actually inject insulin to allow them to process the food and whatever so that is a much much more serious condition with which to deal compared to type 2 diabetes yeah now Matt a little birdie told me because uh, years ago I, I, I was thinking about this and um, uh, I learned that technically you can correct me if I'm wrong I learned that technically it is possible to reverse type 2 diabetes Yes and, and no. And I'd like to know, because if anybody was going to, rever- to attempt to reverse it, it would be you. But not if there's a genetic reason for having it. I mean, if you went through what I explained earlier about yep. the sense that I was living a reasonably good lifestyle, I think in retrospect, there may have been times in the past when I was pre-diabetic and was showing symptoms and pre-diabetes is something we will do in the health spot on the last word at some stage in the near future as well. And I may have reversed the pre-diabetes condition or stopped myself going into diabetic by changing diet or improving exercise and all the rest of it. But yet, as I said, I was living the lifestyle that my consultant would have recommended to me to avoid diabetes or to manage. So I think there may be this genetic component, which is important for many people. Hi, Mario. Please tell Matt to read Fast 800 by Michael Mosley on reducing improving type 2 diabetes. And that was from Ruth Kilcock. Yeah, and a lot of people say that and stuff. But yes, I mean, I have done all the various things and that I am now very, very careful with my diet. I don't um, take alcohol except on rare occasions, rare exceptions. I exercise. And yet... If I don't take my tablets with my meals each day, my blood starts rocketing up. So I can't actually miss the taking of medication because when I do, immediately things start going askew. Great to hear Matt talk so openly about his diabetes. Can totally relate to losing your sense of invincibility. That was was the thing. We're all, we think we're invulnerable, you know. Um, I have type 1 diabetes since I was 10 years old. And that's all, common for, yeah. that's when people get it. Young, age. onset young, yeah. And I've always been grateful um, for life and aware of my mortality. So at one stage, I just want to talk about your weight for a second, because at one stage you said you were up to about 17 stone, mm. and now you're down to just below 14. Yeah. So why? How is it to do with the drug? A com or well, lifestyle or a combination drug, of the both. The drug has. I, I don't eat as much, which is one of the key. Does things. it reduce Cal- your appetite? Calorie, no. Calorie intake is an enormous part of it. Um, and I burn off more. But even in fairness, Paul Byrne used to always say to me in the gym that no matter how much work I did and how fit I got and developed my strength, that the key issue still was the amount of calories taken. You can't out-train a bad diet. Exactly, exactly. That's what he put it. We have Dominic Munley, um, um, sports uh, trainer on this programme quite a lot, and he's always said that to me. You can't out-train a bad diet. It's 80% what you put in, and it's 20% working out and all of that stuff. Yeah, fantastic. So, what is your regime now, Matt? Then, so how has it changed? What what kind of key things have has it has have been changed in the last few months? Well, then, it has you? changed dramatically, mm. uh, as I said, because I was doing things. I was conscious of the need to be reasonably fit. 
So over the last 10 years, I mean, I've been cycling a lot. I play a lot of tennis. I go to the gym twice a week. I've in the last month uh, taken up that very dangerous sport known as golf, which means a lot of walking as well. But I do come home straight after the nine holes that I would play at present uh, rather than going to any dinners or anything like that. Um, I make sure that I I always get my minimum of 10,000 steps in a day. So I walk since I've started, since I finished broadcasting at home for the lockdown, since I started coming back into Marconi House the last three weeks, I walk to work, I walk home from work, I walk the dog a lot. So I keep exercise, I keep a lot of exercise going. But yes, I'm probably not eating nearly as much. I don't have the same appetite that I used to have and I don't have the appetite for sweet things. And I am obsessive about wherever it's processed food, that I very much check the sugar content on it. And if there's anything that in any way looks a little bit high, it, it doesn't get eaten. And very little alcohol. Um, very little. Were you a Murphy's was, man or a Beamish man? or a? Well, am I allowed to say this as a yes. Corkman? I used to be a Murphy's drinker. Then when I moved to Dublin, I used to find it so hard to actually get a good pint of Murphy's. I switched to Guinness and it's very hard to switch back because Murphy's is a sort of a sweeter taste than Guinness. So, yeah, I'd become a Guinness drinker. Now, I still do drink occasionally. I mean, I had a couple of beers when we were on holidays in Kerry with the family at the end of July. And uh, Alien and myself celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary last Wednesday. And uh, so I'd, we, had, we started, we went away, left the kids, uh, had lunch, had a couple of glasses of wine over lunch, went for a long walk after that. And then uh, that night there was more wine with dinner. So yeah, I'm, like, I'm not completely giving it up, but when I had the beers at the end of July, it was the first time in seven and a half, eight months since I'd had a drink. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, brilliant. Matt, listen, um, as you know, I'm a big fan of your programme and uh, I listen to it as much as I can. And my favourite item has got to be Cal and Marion. So it usually takes place at about 20 to 6 on a Tuesday. And I, I always try to catch that live. Um, and even even when I don't catch it live, I go back. But I, I, live is always better. We're living in interesting times. I, it sometimes, it must, it must be infuriating for you sometimes listening to the extent to which Cal is able to defend the indefensible. I put that to him the other night, actually, saying the Republican convention this week. Sorry, and just as an aside, there are some people who say that the last word is all about Trump and American politics. It isn't. We don't talk about it every night. No. We only, only talk about it once a week. Uh, we have been very, very focused, particularly this year, and everything that's been going on and COVID-19 and the rest of it. And we've had a f- tremendous response from listeners to the last word. Every night, the amount of text messages and WhatsApps coming in are more and more. In fact, just as an aside, on Phil Hogan and Golfgate, I think we must have had the greatest number of messages to the programme on anything since Thierry Henry's handball (laughs) in Paris in 2009 denied us our chance of getting to the World Cup. But we still are interested, and we will be very much interested in America over the next 10 weeks in the build-up to the general election, as much as a diversion from everything that's going on here, and it's still very important. Anyway, Cal, I said to him the other night, you know, he's a conservative, Cal. He believes in certain things in relation to economics and social behaviour and cultural stuff, and he's a conservative. And I said, how can you be happy with a grifter like Trump hijacking the Republican Party and using it for his own selfish means with no real discernible interest in what conservative values are. How can you put up with that? And he defended him on the basis that he didn't quite go, but he's not Clinton or he's not Obama, which is his typical line nearly any week. 
But, you know, he's giving us the things we want and Democrats won't. So they'll put up with this abhorrence just because he gives them some of the things that they want, which is, in some respects, is that not sort of almost classical dictator-type material? I mean, I know people say that this is an exaggeration, but a lot of the stuff that Trump is doing at the moment and the downright barefaced lies that he tells, and I know there are people get on to the last word and say, it's an outrage, you should be unbiased and rest with Well, it's not Ireland. It is something we're observing from the field, so we're under no but are you professional un- obligation uh, yeah. to be unbiased but, uh, when you see somebody as abhorrent yeah. and obnoxious but, uh, as Trump in power. Exactly, and is it unbiased to point out a barefaced lie? Not at all. You're supposed to be. I Report. Mean, in this job, if you see an obvious lie been told, you're not supposed to let it go without comment on the basis of so-called balance yeah. because some people think that he's not lying if he's absolutely and that's why you know people say Marion and myself gang up and Cal well Cal's a big boy as well it's two Cal. against one Matt it's two against <laughs> can I get in here oh oh, Cal please stop it Cal you're talking bollocks Cal and you know it hey uh, Marion can I just can I just clarify that's an impression of Marion rather than me that, that this you just one did, oh, that you just did this that. one that's an impression of Marion no, that, this is an impression of you. <laughs> I base my impression of you on Miss Piggy in the Muppet Show. <laughs> Hi-ya! Uh, Matt was one of the first people, well, one of the endless people who come up to me and gone, I love your, um, I love your Willie O'Dea and your Ender Kenny this morning. By the way, you can't do me. <laughs> and uh, loads, of, loads more texts, but it's... it's By the way, sorry, uh, Cal. But Cal, no, so just one yeah. more thing. Cal comes back with this thing of Matt I always said I don't like the person Matt I've always said it I don't like the person I said it I said it Matt I didn't like Clinton I didn't like Obama I don't like Trump but I like what he's done for the economy and then it sort of stops there the way it does in America and I go what's he done for the economy sorry Matt I, 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 I am a follower of look, America. Look, look but the they've done market. nothing for the economy. Look at the stock market and they say, look at this, but the stock market only benefits such a small yeah. section. He's added six you trillion to the national debt. You, you look at, I think there was a figure I saw recently that the difference between the wage of the average worker and the chief executive in a major American company is now 334 times. It used to be no more than 20. This disparity, which, and I can never believe the people in America who say, this is great, this shows the American dream works. No, it doesn't. It shows a vast inequity, inequality, unfairness, which actually goes against an awful lot of what America is supposed to be about. It is. And indeed, a primary school teacher in the United States needs three jobs to survive. Yeah. A, a, a teacher. Yeah, and this is uh, in addition to the fact that they're going to have a, some guy with a gun coming in. Which is why we're doing a major up. series on uh, the state of Trump's union starting tomorrow with Samantha Power is our first guest, the Irish-born former US ambassador to the United Nations. We're going to have a range of people, including Trump supporters, over the next 10 weeks for major one-on-one interviews at around 20 past six every Monday between now and Election Day as just something added and something different for the last word as well. Okay, Matt, that's brilliant. And listen, lots of good wishes being sent in to you to Mario Sunday Roast and uh, have a great game of golf today and remember Mark Twain always said it's a good walk spoiled Matt Cooper thank you very much thank you Mario